0: birth of a baby is a defining moment in a woman's life
1: but what about the birth of a mother
0: that's right when a baby is born so too is a mother
1: this transition from woman to mother has a name it's called matrescence
0: this developmental stage is as powerful and irreversible as adolescence and yet few women have ever heard of it so let's talk about it let's talk about it each episode we will bring you honest and thought-provoking conversations Evidence based research and knowledgeable guests in order to help you emerge a more powerful and aligned version of yourself.
1: So, join us, your hosts, Kelly and Brie, as we attempt to make sense of our Matrescence journey and to help you make sense of yours.
0: Good morning. This is Brie and Kelly back again for another podcast session uh we have been on a break for a week or so and the purpose of today is to get back on the horse and have some more of our really interesting discussions and it's been a really great time of reflection about what do we want to talk about what have we learned and we're going to dive in today to a topic around breastfeeding however as always we want to give you context about time and space and where we're at so brie why don't you give us a little summary about where you're at in your journey and then we can loop that back to the discussion today.
1: Yeah, so breastfeeding has been a really big part of my parenthood journey. Um, I'm not currently breastfeeding, being that I'm eight weeks pregnant and my little boy is now two and a half. Um, so I'm kind of on a break between breastfeeding, which is nice. Um, and I guess on a – when talking about this podcast, we're kind of in a quite a transitional, transformational stage. We're still very much working out, you know, why we're here, what, what we're about and what we want to share with everybody. So Kel and I have been having a lot of conversations this week about what direction feels good for us um, and we haven't totally figured that out yet but we're not going to be deterred by it and in the meantime we want to just keep putting our thoughts down and recording content and we'll figure it out along the way.
0: Mm. because these conversations are coming from a position of we're not saying we're the authority we're not saying this is right or wrong we're actually wanting to open up topics that we know that there's a lot of information on but we want people to make decisions that's right for them and we hope through telling of some of our stories our anecdotes and what we have done research on that might open up some fresh ideas for you and you know breastfeeding is a very wide topic So in some ways, our personal experiences and our thoughts as you go into another phase of breastfeeding um, is a great conversation starter.
1: Yeah. And I think that there is so much information out there on this topic. And I think some of our podcasts previously have been more educational, more informative, because I think we're really passionate about that, you know, researching and learning and gathering the information and reflecting on that. And I think that that's really important. But this is one topic where I think sometimes it can just help to share our experiences and the funny stories and the, you know, struggles along the way. And, um, there's lots of funny ones. Kel shared with me, um, some great graphic imagery of your breastfeeding journey. <laughs> um, and while that's quite in the past for you now, being that it's been like the best part of a decade.
0: For you. Really, yes,
1: but it's still it's still fresh, and it's still a part of your story. and uh, I'm looking forward to hearing what you have to share on that.
0: Mm-hmm. And that, I mean that in itself is one of those things. There's so much um that is of a, a haze through motherhood. but th- funnily enough, there's some always some really vivid memories, and breastfeeding does uh, fill some of those. And, and I guess we kick this off with the concept of the things no one told me because if you look on videos, one of my, You know, probably to kick this off, one of my hilarious things that I often tell new mothers is they, one of the first things that you'll learn is they say, you know, make sure that you squeeze the nipple and it goes to the roof of the mouth. Or certainly that's what they told me a decade ago. And I remember looking down and thinking, my nipple's bigger than the baby's head. How am I (laughs) going to fit that inside of his mouth? Because no one tells you that. Your nipples get really big.
1: And dark and And puffy. Yes.
0: (laughs) So not only was I struggling to work out how to fit it inside of his mouth, I'm thinking it's bigger than his head. And I actually do have some photos where I'm like, look, see? See the size of the nipple? See the size of the baby's head?
1: Yeah. You want me to put that in there? (laughs) Yes. And that's one of my earliest pregnancy symptoms. I actually said to my husband the other day, I'm like, look at them. (laughs) Like, It's their back. They're getting dark and puffy and it's very glamorous. Um, But yeah, you get plenty of advice along the way and... Yet there's so much that no one tells you. And I'm like, why didn't anyone mention this? Like, am I the only one who's having this problem or things like that? So we've got plenty of things down. I wasn't able to compile just five or ten short and sharp ones. We'll just see where it goes.
0: I think the storytelling is more important than the list. And as with everything, the most important thing is that we, you have no idea what's going to happen to your body, honestly. So what's the most important thing to say is it's going to change. And it'll change in a way that's slightly different to the person next to you because there's so much of our body, you know, even the concept of things going dark, whether some people get the line on the belly, how Mm. dark their nipples go, even the color of your vagina changes. That's another conversation, (laughs) but it does. The point being that at least someone's saying to you, just be aware that your body will change. And for the most part, it's normal. And, you know, there's always a situation where someone's going to have a change that isn't normal and needs to get assistance. I get that. But most of all, someone sitting you down and saying, it's okay. When things start to change, it's okay. And who do you have to have that discussion with to make you feel that you're able to talk through things? And so breastfeeding has a lot of things surrounding the fact that ultimately what you're trying to do is transfer milk from your body into your baby to nourish it. And that's although that's what breastfeeding is, it doesn't at all capture... The The, experience. Yes.
1: Uh, Absolutely. And I think that this is a conversation that is relevant to people who maybe choose to feed for a day, a week, a year, um, we can obviously only share from our perspective. So I did feed my little boy for just over two years. um, But many of these changes are going to happen to you regardless of whether you choose to feed breast milk or formula, um, whether you feed for a week or a month or a year, your body is going to go through these changes and you're going to have to grapple with the emotions and feelings that come with that. Um, And I actually wrote an Instagram post on this uh, going back a couple of months. I think it was on world breastfeeding day and just talking about what a struggle that was to shift between seeing my breasts as something that was – that were for men's pleasure to for a baby's nourishment. And I was only 22 when I had my little boy, so I very much felt like I was, you know, in my sexual prime, like that was a, a good time for me. And um, it was a real struggle to make that shift, and it didn't just happen naturally without any apprehension. So – um there is a lot of complex emotions that comes with the choice to breastfeed or not breastfeed.
0: Okay. Yeah, and th- there's so many important points in what you said there because even if your choice is that not to breastfeed for- yeah, or if your body is not producing enough milk because there are scenarios all the way on the spectrum of not many, enough many. milk to I have too much milk. Yeah. But either way the body is Going through changes which you can't control. So whatever you decide, whatever your choice is, to some extent, your body has a bit of a life of its own. So if you are incredibly pro-breastfeeding and really want that for yourself, unfortunately, for some women, their bodies will not meet their expectations. And so that expectation gap can be part of that journey we have to go on of letting go of our fears, letting go of what we decide, and and understanding that sometimes our bodies have other ideas. And, you know, for, for me personally, I had too much milk. I had a lot of milk.
1: Yeah, me too.
0: And and that caused a whole other set of things. I mean, we, there's often discussion about, you know, leaking breasts, And there's a bunch of things nobody tells you about that. Yeah. Um, And and some funny stories around that was, you know, I I had a lot of milk which caused some challenges in my feeding because I actually thought I was drowning my eldest son because he was constantly (laughs) gagging on the fact that milk was pouring out. Yes. But also, uh, you know, when I did want to become intimate uh, during that period because you do feel like you want to be seen as a woman, not just a, a you know, cleaning up machine. Yeah. Then your breasts are also stimulated by the same hormones. Yeah. And so therefore milk comes out at inconvenient times, it like does in the middle of lovemaking. It
1: does. And I've got a a little tip in here, which I'll share later on for that because I had to learn the hard way. Um, My boobs definitely had a life of their own and their own agenda. And I was just kind of like an unwilling bystander. Um, But I wanted to start at the very beginning because there's there's so much here and I thought it might be helpful to just try to go chronologically as much as we can. Um, And so something that was really interesting to me that I don't think a lot of people know and I certainly didn't know is that your milk or more accurately your colostrum can come in before you have a baby so I'm not sure if that happened for you
0: I can honestly say I don't remember
1: yeah see I do and mine came in at 17 weeks so I barely had a little baby bump and it was quite funny actually because one night I was lying in bed and a little drip appeared kind of on top of my boob and I was like oh and so I changed my shirt and Then another one came and I was like, the roof must be leaking. Like, what is leaking on me? And I did not make that connection at all that it was coming from me. And I was mortified. I was like, what is going on? And so from that point on, pretty much, I had to wear breast pads. So that's a long time. Um, And that was so interesting to me. So by the time my little boy was born, I had stored some colostrum in the case that we had a traumatic birth or had to be separated and I had they suggested about 6 to 12 mils um to bring with you to the hospital and I had like 65 I had so much um and yeah I found that really interesting so I
0: thought I'd share that that's a great thing to know because even the thought of keeping it mm. you know that's a really important part because although we all have we we try not to but we set up expectations about the way we want our birth to go yeah it's almost like having some st- stored colostrum there whether you use it or you're able to donate that which is another conversation really handy to have that and you're almost needing to learn how to express it before you're even at that point. Yes. So it's quite an early discussion. And and you told me, I believe you squeeze it into a cup. Is that the theory? Yeah.
1: So generally uh, I was only 37 weeks and four days when my, when I had my little boy. So generally they don't recommend that you start pumping until you're kind of full term because that can stimulate labor to begin. Um, So what they suggest is you use a manual expressing technique, um, which is just like milking your own boobs. <laughs> and then at best, most people will get one drop, but that is still important. It's called liquid gold for a reason. Um, and you will then catch that in a little medicine cup and then transfer it into a syringe and feed it, uh, freeze it, um, with the idea that if your baby should need it post-birth, then you'd feed it to them through the syringe. Um What ended up happening was that no one remembered to put mine in the freezer at the hospital, so it all defrosted and had to go in the bin, which was devastating. Um, But, yeah, that's the process, and it's hard to wrap your mind around, and I found the process pretty mortifying, but with time you get Mm. more comfortable.
0: So the key takeaway for me there is... Go and do your research on the best way to express without stimulating labour. Do your research on the best way to store sterilisation planning for having to move with that. So you may want a home birth, Mm -hmm. you may plan a hospital birth, but you need to make arrangements and make sure that that is protected fiercely. And those that planning when you're in the intensity of labour, plan it ahead of time. Absolutely, worries. Absolutely, Absolutely.
1: and I think, but I think also that you know, maybe in your experience, it didn't come in prior to birth. That's also totally normal. It doesn't, it doesn't have to, it's not any indication of how much milk you will have for some people they do. And for some people they don't. Mm.
0: Yeah. Well, one of the things that was an issue for me during pregnancy was that I actually had some health issues, which meant that Uh, my, I basically had a, let's call it a rash over my whole body. I had an Mm. immune system issue, which meant that my, my nipples were actually really raw and sore and weeping. And so when I was going through midwife led care, which at the time was in London, uh, when I was talking to my caregivers about breastfeeding, they were sort of looking at me going, ah, I don't think you're going to be able to breastfeed. Mm. And I was like, no, I really want to do this. So I was, faced with. So at some point it must have come in because the treatment, which I ended up seeking some complimentary, I'll call it complimentary advice. Uh, They actually have a homeopathic hospital in London, which is very uh, unusual. And whatever your feelings are on homeopathy, for me, the care that I received there and the acknowledgement was outstanding. And Mm. One of the things that she did say to me is as soon as your breasts start to leak, rub it into the skin around mm. your nipples, and that was like life-changing. Yeah. So when we talk about liquid gold, totally. I used breast milk for everything. My-, <laughs> <laughs> My mother-in-law. She's old school and she always says put butter on it. Well, I say put breast milk on it. So <laughs> yes. as soon as – and at some point it did before the baby because I remember squeezing that and then just rubbing it on my raw, weeping, bleeding nipples because the midwife was looking at me going, there's no way you can breast – you can't put that in your fresh baby's yeah. mouth. But actually it sorted them out and I was able to breastfeed, thankfully, and obviously had a lot of milk. And I wish I had known more about donation at that time because mm. I probably would have done it I because I literally – just, I would, I had big material breast pads and that's, I mean, mm. do your own research. You can buy disposable breast pads and that that's fine. They're very, very convenient, mm. but you have no idea how many you're going to go through. Let me just tell you that if you have a lot of milk, if you don't, no problem. But if you are someone who has a lot of milk, invest early and get some decent thick, yeah. I had bamboo back in the day. I don't know if that's still They've a thing. They've come a long
1: way too now. They are still bamboo, I think mostly, but um I only used pretty much disposable because I found that the material ones were grossly insufficient for the amount of milk I was leaking. Um but this time I would like to invest more because I went through boxes and boxes. I had a friend come over maybe 8 days post birth and she's like, "What can I bring you?" Like do you need something for the baby? And I'm like pads and breast pads, like as many boxes as you can get. And she came with about 10. It was beautiful. And I went through all of them so quickly. Um, But what you mentioned about kind of those first feeds and the pain, though, your pain was coming from rash, something post-birth. I think that that is something that we get really mixed messages around is like, is breastfeeding supposed to hurt or is it not? Mm -hmm. And what I'd been told is that it's not meant to hurt. If you're doing it right, it won't hurt. But then it did. It hurt so much. And within 24 hours, my nipples were raw and chafed and cracked and bleeding. And it sounds horrific and it feels horrific at the time, but it does pass. And my midwife, beautifully said to me, she's like, of course, it's going to hurt. When in the past have you had someone suck on your nipples for 24 hours straight in a day? Mm. And I was like, oh, that's so true. And I think once I accepted that, okay, this is normal and it will pass, I didn't beat myself up about, you know, maybe I'm doing it wrong. Maybe he's not latching right. Maybe. And I was just getting so flustered. So, Mm. I think that normalizing that it will hurt potentially, but that it also does pass mm. um, can be really helpful.
0: Yeah, we don't want to oversimplify it, but it's almost like initially you're having a repetitive strain injury on a n- your nipple. You've and there's gone no from-
1: time to heal. Like they want to feed every 10 minutes. You can't just like take a day off. Mm. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So the skin is adjusting and it is a very sensitive area mm. and there's a whole lot of, um, sort of physiological stimulation that occurs. So it's not just the nipple area, but, um, I don't know about you, but I found my entire breast would ache and mm. pulse. And you know, obviously there's a letdown process that occurs and we're not going to give any, uh, you know, advice if we say look into it. What happened for me was that the letdown would occur when the baby cried. Yeah. Any baby. Any baby. Not just my yeah. baby.
1: Or like a sad commercial on yes. TV. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, so you'd be I would be out in the supermarket and I'd be like, I've got half an hour to myself, the baby's <laughs> at home, and then someone else's baby would cry and then there would be this aching, yes. pulsing, let down and dripping and yeah, and then it, what came with that was the emotions as well. And yeah. you know, you're in the aisle reading the back of a thing, just having a quiet sob to yourself <laughs> yeah. because it's your, your, that's where the hormones are stimulated. Yeah. And it's crazy and you feel really out of control. Like, this is my body, but there's a demon taking over at times. Um, And I think just learning to live with those emotions and and accept them and and surrender and enjoy. Totally. and
1: And I don't know if you know this, but do you know that if you push your palm into your nipple, that it will stop your milk leaking? No. I didn't know that either. Wow. And I think that that's really important to note because I didn't figure it out until about gosh, maybe a year into breastfeeding, that when you feel your letdown coming on, and some people don't feel their letdown, but for me it was very strong. It was a a strong tingling. Um if you just push your palm into your breast or anything else, I'm I'm hand signaling it. I feel like you
0: need an Instagram (laughs) post on the on the palm.
1: Yeah. Um it actually stops your milk coming out, which is awesome and would have saved me so many wet t shirts back in the day if I'd known.
0: Yeah. And so does that also – because one of the challenges that I had was because I had a lot of milk and I was – in order to slow down my milk supply, I went through a phase which I had to repeat. It took me a long time to get this right where I would feed off one breast for 24 hours. So Mm, I I wish I'd taken more photos. So I went to something called the La Leche League. Again, very lucky to have my first child in London 12 years ago, quite progressive. I went to the La Leche League. They had a look at the way I was feeding. They had a look at the situation. They took my history and they said – We actually think your body is overstimulated probably because you're doing the new mother thing and putting the baby latching all the time. So I'm overstimulating the milk production. So she said, let's try a few things. And one of them was feed off one breast for 24 hours until it's dead empty. Yeah. And then swap. And then your body will start to readjust. So uh, if anyone's uh, had the porn star boob effect with the giant balloon <laughs> shiny ones yep. if you can imagine one giant shiny balloon and one very deflated balloon is what happens towards the end of 24 <laughs> hours one that's uh, empty and saggy and the other one which is quite um over-full and shiny so yep. and then i would swap sides and that actually would then bring slow down my milk supply for a little while and then i would often have to repeat that and i know a lot more now than i did then so i was quite possibly my own worst enemy in in that overstimulation but i had no idea about the palm and i wonder if that would have helped to at certain times for me to say to my body, no, actually, this isn't the time to stimulate, slow down. Mm.
1: And I think that it is so much trial and error. And I think that if you're struggling, definitely seek out um, a lactation consultant, which is probably what you would have seen Uh, because they are invaluable. They are incredible. And we can actually, in in Brisbane, at least, you can go to Child Health Services um, and see one for free. So that's an awesome option. Uh, For me, I had much the same issue in that I had so much milk and then I compounded that by also expressing. Um, So from my understanding, your milk tends to settle down about six weeks um, post-birth. That's when your body figures out how much milk it needs to feed your baby. But if you're stimulating that more frequently, then it's going to think that you need more. So I started pumping um, about Eight days post birth, um, and that's a whole other subject, which I do want to talk about, but we'll stay here for a second. Um, and so, I had so much milk; I had so much milk. And if I had to describe the postpartum period in one word, it would be wet. I was just wet all the time. I felt like I was leaking from every area of my body. I was. No one had told me about night sweats. I don't mm. know if you got that, but I yes. was drenched in sweat every night, which wasn't helped by the fact that it was it was the middle of summer but also just wet all the time. I'd leak through my breast pads. I'd put double breast pads in and leak through those and I'd wake up in a puddle. Um, especially if your baby slept an abnormally long stretch at night suddenly. Um, and so what I would do would be, I would feel my letdown coming. So I'd, they would give you the advice to let the baby suckle and they'll stimulate letdown and then start feeding. Whereas if I even thought about my baby, my Boob started spraying milk out, so I'd be like, "Quick, bring me the baby! It's coming!" (laughs) I'd like rush him onto my boob, and he was such a spewy baby. And I think it's because he was just getting milk pumped into his mouth; he wasn't working for it at all. It was just being forced down there. So eventually, what I started doing was waiting for my letdown to pass, and I'd just catch it in a towel, Mm -hmm. and that would get off the intensity and a lot of my four milk and then I'd latch him on and he'd get kind of the good stuff. Um, but it was so, so much trial and error and I don't know the solution, but just be prepared to be Mm. wet and have spare t-shirts on hand.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And that's the important message is that we, we're we not actually coming with answers here. We're trying to give you some stories that have occurred to us, and there will be stories at the other end of the spectrum uh, with women who really want a lot of milk and it's not there, and there are a whole bunch of other tools hmm. and tips and tricks about how um, to to assist in that. But knowing the services that are available is a really big one, and throughout this we will continue to share the resources that we are aware of hmm. uh, to try and give you the access to go and hunt down in your region where possible what is available to you and the common theme will be always ask the question always go and seek help because there will be something someone somewhere in the world will have been going through what you are Mm. going through right now totally so
1: yeah and I think there are so many great services out there Um, but I think that also it's kind of striking that balance between asking for help because it is hard you have never Anyone who tells you that breastfeeding comes naturally is lying. I don't know. But you've never breastfed before. In our culture, we often haven't seen women openly breastfeed before. We're not growing up with, you know, our mums and our aunties with their breasts out just popping a baby on when they're hungry like we may have back in tribal times. Mm-hmm. So I think that it is such a new experience. And it for most people it doesn't come naturally and you do need a little bit of help along the way. Um, For me, it was also trying to navigate that balance between asking questions and also trusting my intuition. So, I also fed off one boob and my midwife kept saying to me, you need to make sure you're feeding off both boobs. I'm not sure if that was in terms of draining the breast to prevent mastitis or making sure he was getting enough food, but he just started projectile vomiting everywhere because he was so overloaded with milk. So then that was one of the, you know, one of the first times in motherhood where I had to be like, no, actually I know what my baby needs and thank you for the advice, but it's not suitable to us at this Mm -hmm. time. Um, And the other area that I kind of uh, took that on board, I guess, um, was introducing a bottle really early on. Um, So we did that at about eight days old. Mm -hmm. And we received a lot of advice to the contrary. And I really struggled to find information supporting that choice because it's not widely supported. And everyone I spoke to told me that I'd create nipple confusion. He'd start to refuse the breast because it was easier to get it from the bottle. Uh, all those kind of things. And whenever I asked the midwife for advice and support, she'd just be like, no, you can't do that. That's not a good option. And I was like, but I'm going to do it. And so I need some advice. You know, where can I get it? And she's like, it's not a good idea. (laughs) And so then I kind of just had to trial and error. But we decided to introduce the bottle, um, I think after reading a book by midwife Kath. It's called The First Six Weeks. It's a great book. And the idea for us was that then my husband could do a feed at night and that if we introduced it early, he'd get used to taking a bottle. And that was really important to me because I really struggled with the idea of feeling depended on completely. Mm -hmm. Um, Not so much physically, I could meet the demands, but just psychologically, like knowing, like, I can't pop out for 30 minutes. Like I cannot go down the road to get a loaf of bread because he might get hungry and scream. I found that really overwhelming. So to us – it made sense to introduce a bottle and that way if I had to be away from him for Mm -hmm. any reason, we could trust that someone else could step in. And that ended up being really helpful when I went back to work while still exclusively breastfeeding. I know a lot of mums tend to struggle to introduce a bottle when they go back to work. The baby might be six months old or 12 months old or somewhere in between there and they refuse the bottle because they're not used to that sensory experience So for us, it was an awesome choice, Um, but again, one that was not supported at all. And Mm. I guess I just figured he's still getting anywhere between 10 and 50 breastfeeds in a day. He's hardwired to know where the good stuff comes from. One bottle is not going to derail the whole Mm. process.
0: So out of um, curiosity then, inside of that bottle feed, did Mm. you introduce your own milk or formula or a mixture?
1: Yeah. So we introduced breast milk. I wasn't opposed to formula and we did buy some, but we didn't end up using it. Um, mostly because I had so much milk, which then you get into a kind of cycle where I had so much milk. So I pumped, so my body created more milk. So I pumped and I, I definitely ended up with an oversupply, which meant that I was often uncomfortable and sore. Um, But I was actually really worried about not having enough milk because I'd heard so many stories of people who didn't have enough. So to me, I was like, well, let's keep my supply up. Mm. Let's be prepared. Um, Mm. So I would just pump once or twice a day. I I could get a lot of milk. I know some women will have to pump for, you know, three weeks to save enough for one feed when they go out. So I was really lucky on that front. Um, And then I'd just freeze it. And at one point I had to stop pumping because my parents, who we were living with at the time, their whole freezer was just full of breast milk. (laughs) And mum was like, I need some room. Can you just calm down? Um, And then my husband would defrost it at night and feed it to him. But that actually created a lot of problems for us because I soon learned that breasts are amazing and that they have the right amount of milk for your baby at the right temperature prepared at the right time. Whereas what kept happening, and I think there'll be two types of people who listen to this story: people who are like, "Oh, what a bitch," and people who are like, oh, "How dare he?" But um, what would happen is I'd Matt would defrost maybe 180 mils of breast milk, and then he would have feed the baby 10 mils and then leave it on the table, and I'd wake up in the morning and there was like 170 mils of breast milk wasted on the table, and I was like, oh, "How dare you!" <laughs> And I'd, like, cry about this wasted breast milk that I'd, you know, pumped mm-hmm. and sterilised and stored and frozen and defrosted. Um, so while I was grateful to have the extra sleep, <laughs> I quickly learned that sometimes it was easier for him to just bring the baby in to me mm-hmm. and feed. But having that option, again, just knowing he was okay without me for any stretch of time, I think was still worth it. Mm-hmm. And we would probably do the same again next time Mm.
0: yes i i love these stories because they all come back to a key theme which is have um have really firm ideas held loosely Mm. because you need to be willing to adjust and change and experiment and work out what works for you your family and your situation because we do sometimes get really attached to things going a particular way and when they don't that can be more devastating than the actual impact it's the old crying over spilt milk thing which is Are you actually crying over the spilt milk or is this just a a build-up of things not going exactly the way you want?
1: I don't know, though. Breast milk is sometimes worth crying over (laughs) the process of getting it. Um, But, no, you're absolutely right. And I think you can have one idea about how your breastfeeding journey is going to go, Mm -hmm. and it goes a totally different path. And I was obviously so worried about not having enough breast milk, and I ended up having – too much and kind of as you alluded to before what i ended up doing was donating my breast milk and again i wish i'd known about that sooner i didn't find that out till quite late in my um breastfeeding process but it's a really cool option that i think it's important for women to know about whether they want to be the recipient of breast milk for Mm -hmm. their baby or the donor
0: and where would someone find out about that
1: so there are a couple of options we do in Brisbane and I think worldwide have um, milk banks mm-hmm. that are generally attached to the hospital. That process can be a little bit tricky in that you do need to have um, breast Uh, blood tests and screening processes to make sure that Mm. you're a suitable donor and it can be quite lengthy and you do have to jump through a few hoops um but then from my understanding they then give the milk to mostly NICU babies Mm. so um babies that are in the neonatal unit and that's incredible and such an important service the other side is uh, and where I donated was through a Facebook page called human milk milk for human babies. Mm -hmm. So it is unregulated. So you make that choice and it works on a on a trust system of disclosure. Um and that's for some people and it's not for others. Mm -hmm. Um but yeah so I I shared that I was this old, I was a non-smoker, I didn't drink alcohol while breastfeeding, um, I hadn't been on any prescription or otherwise drugs. Um and then you advertise how much milk you have available and people will Say, I need it for this reason, or I'm interested. Um, so I ended up donating to, I think, two mums. One who had had a mastectomy and couldn't feed her baby, and mm-hmm. she, her baby also had um, medical issues. Mm-hmm. And so that felt incredible to be able to donate to her. Um, and another lady who I can't remember their story, but obviously everyone's yeah. desire to feed their baby breast milk is. Different and equally valid. Um, And then down the track, I also donated to my sister's baby, my niece, Mm. when she she was born at 32 weeks and ended up in the neonatal unit. Um, And while she waited for her milk to come in following a pretty emergency cesarean, um, I provided milk for her.
0: That's cool. It's a really cool experience. That's an amazing experience to be able to give that um, to someone who genuinely wants and needs it. Yeah. One thing this brings me back to is throughout our conversations, what you'll start to learn about our different personalities is that Brie is very much the research arm of Mm -hmm. the team. So if there is anything that she's curious about, she will go and dive into the research very deeply. And so if most of the time we will tell a lot of personal stories, if, She does refer to something. It's because she has done the reading and research. But our caveat is always, please do your own research. What we're trying to do is bring things to the surface about sometimes we don't know what we don't know. And so making sure that people understand what is available to them. So I really enjoy the fact that when you come to me and say, I've been looking into this, I know how deeply you're going into that. So. Um, very much appreciate that and with us now both in parallel journeys me training to be a doula and you training to be a midwife and for very different reasons but we're learning as we go these conversations are part opening up ideas and part telling stories uh but i have not actually heard that breast story before the breast milk story so that was fantastic Mm. thank you
1: i think you're right and i think that um It is important to mix educational and informative with storytelling. Um, But you're right, I I do love diving into the research. But at the same time, we are still on our own journey and we can only talk to our experience. I don't know what it's like to try to breastfeed following a traumatic birth or to have... Insufficient breast milk and what the emotional journey of that must be, or a baby with a tongue tie or latch problems. You know, we can't speak to that experience. Mm-hmm. We can only share our own. Um, yeah.
0: So in terms of jumping into the actual feeding process, we've mm. talked a little bit about the fact that it, it can hurt, and that's not bad or wrong. It's the part of the learning process. It's learning a new skill, and when we learn new things, it is hard. And although there is a very natural part that your body has the ability to produce milk, as you mentioned, I mean, traditionally we would have a tribe, let's, a tribe is a very broad term, yeah. but there would be a process of handing down the stories and the knowledge and the process from generation to generation. And that process is not necessarily in place in modern society the question for you to ask yourself is who is my tribe? Who do I have to learn from? And if that is not naturally around you, then that might be something you want to think about is who am I going to for advice? What is my tribe that I'm going to use? And that might not be your normal tribe, particularly Mm -hmm. if you are in a position of transitioning from one life to another, which happens for a lot of us as women. We go from being, you know, in your case, a a, a young footloose and fancy free traveler Mm to, uh, you know, or a businesswoman or someone who already has other children. So there's a bunch of transitions that do occur.
1: Yeah, and I think that also, you know, going back in time, if you had breastfeeding struggles, there was often someone else who could breastfeed your baby. You know, even your maternal mother mm-hmm. or another woman in your in your tribe, in your clan, and whereas now it's just us. It's like make or bust. Mm. And More than ever, we know the research on how great breastfeeding is and we're being fed this messaging. So it feels like the stakes are so high, but there are things out of your control. You know, you can do all the things, read all the things and bring in all the professionals and it still might not work for you. Um, So I think that that is part of surrendering that motherhood teaches you so beautifully.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. And I can imagine how many people have that ooh factor when you talk about breastfeeding another child. But we feed our children cow's milk, goat's milk, we feed our children, all kinds of things, but we live in a very sterile environment, whereas, you know, nature's supply of milk, one human milk to another human milk, yes, of course there are differences. But if your own milk is not available, then the choice to use another set of human milk, it's actually not that crazy. So I think people need to mentally get over that. But you're right, it would have been, there would have been multiple uh postpartum women in any tribe Mm. at a time. So if the mother was doing something and then a baby would latch on and you could share that, and that sounds crazy to us now in our modern world, but in fact you have this milk supply there which – um, is available.
1: Yeah, and I think you touch on a really important thing is that like our ideas and our expectations and norms and understanding of breastfeeding are changing so rapidly. So when you're talking about linking in with your tribe and consulting them, you need to make sure you're asking the right people because, you know, going back a generation or two, um, you know, I'm thinking my grandparents' generation, formula became really popular and that was a really widely used and supported Option. So I know my my grandma had a terrible experience with breastfeeding, um, and is very pro formula. So if I'm going to her for advice, then I need to be prepared to hear that side and to potentially not be supported if I'm looking for you know encouraging mm-hmm. breastfeeding advice and support. Um, and I don't know enough about my mum's breastfeeding journey, but I I do know she fed for what was considered an extended period of a year, um, which is it's not extended, but in her days it Mm -hmm. was. Mm -hmm. Um, In her days she's only 50. (laughs) She's not that old. Um, But that's the thing. These Mm. things are changing so quickly. And she talks about my dad asking her, like, oh, when are you going to stop feeding? And she's like, when it stops working for me, but right now it's great, so bugger off. (laughs) And, you know, so we're shifting Mm. so quickly and it's hard to keep up with the research and the changes. Mm. And, mm-hmm. um, yeah, so you've got to be careful and selective where you're getting your advice and information, I think.
0: Oh, definitely. Yeah. There's such an interesting point because um, my mother was had babies in the 70s, the mid-70s, 75, and I'm 77. And I remember she, her talking a lot about having a really tough time with my brother. Mm-hmm. So when I was born, I did not even get a look in. She was like, take the baby away and Same give it the Nana. bottle. Yeah. Exactly. So yeah. there was – but that was also the era of TV dinners had come about, you know, frozen meals were in and it was all about the convenience and yeah. so I'm you know, we talk about your research arm, I probably realise as I get older I've got a bit of a rebellious streak <laughs> in me and I probably am a bit of a line stepper. Yeah. I can't quite pinpoint where I got my ideas from, but I very much when it came to breastfeeding, I was like, I'm doing whatever's right for me and that meant that I made a lot of mistakes because there's some advice I probably should have listened to, but that did include the fact that I was a went back to work after six weeks with a baby in the financial district of London, which was really confronting for my work colleagues because I would turn up to the office with the baby asleep in the pram, park it in the corner and go to work. Yeah. And, and, pe- and to be fair, can I just say this was not a good choice? Okay. It is what I did. It's not what I recommend. Yeah. And I learned a lot with my second child, but I was in a very probably needed someone to put their hand on me and say, yeah. you need to slow down and take a step down and in the end i did
1: and were uh, you working in a male dominated workplace or was it a pretty pretty good mix
0: no very much male dominated i am from the it industry um it engineering uh i can only i can't even remember a female that i worked with in that instance our stats now that was
1: probably very confronting for for the men
0: (laughs) yes yeah very much so and so there was this element of uh that we're trying I'm trying to have a meeting and they're very distracted obviously completely reasonably by the fact that there's a baby in the corner and I'm sort of going no 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 let's because I was still trying to keep up this facade that everything was okay and I'm but, but what that meant was that I needed to do things like breastfeed on the tube in London I needed to you know if the baby did wake up I'd be like I'm just gonna feed and for, for the people around me, I did not take into account at all how that made them feel, which was probably not a great choice. Mm. But at the same time, I was like, I'm feeding my baby and I'm doing it right here because the baby needs to be fed. Yeah. I don't know quite where I got those sort of very out there thoughts from, but it was just because I was so driven to say my body, my choice yeah. that I probably, um, you know, just swept through a lot of people who probably remember, they probably tell stories now about that crazy woman who used to bring her baby <laughs> in, in the middle of London and how yeah. crazy she was. And I think
1: that I I, I kind of disagree with you. I don't think it's that important to consider when you're breastfeeding, the comfort of those around you, you know, they're grown adults, they can grapple with those feelings, but your baby can't wait. Mm. And, you know, that's a well protected legal right in Australia to feed where you want, when you want. I imagine it's much the same in London, but whereas you had a very uh, natural rebellious streak, like that was something that I definitely had to acquire. Mm -hmm. Um, And you shared with me a story before that I think you should share now about your wedding was
0: it yes i we got married when my eldest boy was four months old and you know often the night before the wedding you're separated from your partner we that sounds quite traditional but i stayed with a friend uh, on a farm we were in a very rural area and her parents were there and i was walking around in the morning and i had uh, a breast a hand breast pump attached to one breast I was on the phone, I was doing things, I was walking around <laughs> pumping, the baby was in the corner, and her parents are sort of sitting at the dining room table having their like morning cup of tea. <laughs> <eyes>. <laughs> and and we're talking about people in their 60s already. Yeah. And so they're sort of sitting there just having a cup of tea and I'm walking around <laughs> pumping milk, doing this, doing that, and uh, – I remember at some point later them sort of saying, oh, it's really nice to see how comfortable you feel with us. And I think they were actually talking about the fact that I pretty-
1: And you're like, you? I didn't even yeah. realise you were here. I was just doing what needed to be done.
0: <laughs> exactly, because I was determined to have some milk ready yeah. um, for during the ceremony, which, which leads us to one other funny story about my wedding because the point of me pumping and being prepared was that I actually wanted to have a glass of champagne on my wedding. So I was like, okay, how many hours do I need, um, you know, to make sure it's out of my system and all of that. And I had this lovely strapless dress on. And, of course, they're quite long days weddings. And I remember getting to about – four o'clock in the afternoon. And you can visibly see in my wedding photos that my breasts get bigger mm-hmm. and they get bigger and, <laughs> and bigger veinier. and vainier because I've got a strapless top on. So it's yeah. quite obvious. And I remember at one point sidling over to my mother and saying, "Mum, I need you to t- come back and get me out of this dress or I am going to explode everywhere in front of people because they were just aching and getting bigger and bigger because although I realized I needed to express, I, of course, completely forgot that my body doesn't know that I Mm -hmm. want to press pause and I didn't know the palm trick. (laughs) You know, my body was like not pausing. It was going, come on, we've normally had a few feeds by now and it's just building up and building up.
1: Totally. Um, And I had a similar story on our wedding day. Luckily, again, I am very pro-research and what we know about drinking and breastfeeding is changing pretty rapidly. And people are still very divided on this topic. But from my research, I felt comfortable having a glass of wine and breastfeeding. And I would often do it um, as my rebellious streak developed. I would often sit at like the pub with my husband and be like drinking wine and feeding my baby. And the <laughs> looks were fantastic. And I was just kind of reveling in it. Um, but I was the same on my wedding day. I was like, I'll just feed him. Milk, you know he's a year old. He'll be fine. And then by the end of the day, I'm like pulling my boob out of my top. I'm like, just bring him here. Mm-hmm. Um, your body absolutely doesn't know. And even when I went, oh, do you remember when I went away by myself? When would that yes, have been?
0: Down to the Gold Coast. Yeah. Uh-huh.
1: So about a, I think about a year and a mm. half into parenthood, I was just feeling exhausted and overwhelmed. I. had not slept. I don't think I'd slept a full night in two years. And so I announced to my husband that I was going away for a night and he'd just have to manage without me. And luckily he was incredibly supportive. Um, and I had an event down in New South Wales, so timed it around then. And being that I'd been breastfeeding for a year and a half and he wasn't feeding that often, it didn't even occur to me to take a pump. And then I got kind of like 12, 24 hours into my stay and I was in so much pain and I had no pump. I didn't know where to get one locally. And I had actually never learned to hand express at all. And so instead of like sitting with my feet up drinking wine, I was like over the bathroom sink, like milking my boob, trying to get (laughs) some relief. And then when I finally went to the event the other day, uh, the next day, the host of the event hugged me and I was like, oh. (laughs) <laughs> just like whimpering. <laughs> so you know you can have an agenda about what's oh, going to yeah. happen, and sometimes your boobs are just like absolutely not. <laughs>
0: That's so true. That's yeah. so true. I remember just being worried about you driving down there because I knew how tired you were. You're like, are you okay? Have yeah. you all arrived? <laughs>
1: yes, <laughs> absolutely. And as we were talking about prior to this, I started oh. off breastfeeding incredibly. I-, I did it very discreetly with the towel over my. Shoulder, and I'd take myself into another room, and pretty soon I figured out that that was just not realistic for me at all. I totally respect women's right to cover up if that's what makes them feel comfortable, but I hated feeling as if that I had to, as hmm. if it was enforced upon me. Um, and so, and you can see the transition in photos I have of me breastfeeding because I did make a point of asking my husband to take some and in the early days I'm like all covered up and then by the end I've got like both boobs out and just like a baby (laughs) hanging on to one one one-handedly cooking dinner um and I shared the story with you before but I think it's worth sharing that um quite early on maybe in the first 12 weeks I was breastfeeding at my father-in-law's house uh and it was February, it was stinking hot and I couldn't get him to latch on and I was on the verge of tears. He was screaming. We were, you know, under a um, a cloth and I was mindful that, you know, my father-in-law is in his 60s and of that generation and didn't want to offend anyone and um, my sister-in-law came up to me and she just said so gently and beautifully, like, you do what you need to feed, to feed this baby – don't worry about anyone else here, just do what you've got to do. Like, we don't mind. And it made me so emotional and it still does because Mm -hmm. it was just like the reminder I needed. Mm -hmm. Coming from someone else, like, this is not working, we can see you're struggling, just do what you need to do. And um, that was a real pivotal moment for me because I was like, I can't continue to, you know, make things hard for myself and my baby. Like, it's already hard enough. For the comfort of others in the room. They just need Mm -hmm. to deal with it and Mm -hmm. I just need to do Mm -hmm. what I need to do to feed this baby.
0: And and that's a form of um, everyday advocacy Mm. and just knowing when it's time to just have a gentle word with someone. And, okay, not everyone's ready for it. I know one of my favourite things is I will often see a mother in a supermarket or in a supermarket car park juggling with a newborn and a toddler and I will often just go over and say, can I help? Yeah. Can I put your shopping in the car? You know, yes. it's not like, do you want me to hold the baby because I don't yeah. know this person, but can I help? And sometimes they say yes and sometimes they say, no, thanks, I'm fine. Yeah. But I'm sure the fact that someone even noticed that they were trying to it's do multiple everything. things is the point because that's all I wanted Is sometimes is to notice.
1: Absolutely. And my sister-in-law, you know, which I think ad- added to the moment, doesn't have kids. She's never breastfed. I don't believe she wants kids. And so – That felt so powerful to me. And another story, um, when I was shopping one day, I'd gone out, I think, for the first time by myself, and he was screaming and screaming. And I had already got all my shopping, and I was like, I need to put it through. Like, what am I going to do? Abandon my trolley, and then I'll have to come back and do it. And a lady came up to me and said, I'm going to push your trolley, and then I'm going to put your groceries through for you. You do what you need to do just focus on the baby, I've got this. And she's like, I've got five kids, I'm a midwife, I get it. And I just cried and cried and (laughs) cried. And it wasn't even the practical help, it was just that like female to female, like Mm -hmm. we get it, we've been there, you're not in this alone. And it's so easy to just see someone struggling and be like, Mm -hmm. oh, that sounds tough, but Mm -hmm. to take that next step and um, actually offer help, even if someone declines. And Mm -hmm. I always try to. And I'd say probably nine out of ten times people decline because it's kind of our default. No, no, yes. it's fine. Yeah. Um, but I do hope that even the offer just, mm. like, makes people feel that little bit more supported. Mm.
0: I like the way she said this is – she kind of t- talked you through, like, this is what I'm going to do. Yeah. And not asking you because you probably would have gone, no, I'm I fine. I would have. But she kind of noticed and yeah. she was had that calmness about it, go. Like, I'm going to do this. Yeah. And if you tell me to stop, I'll stop, but I'm just going to do it. And that and- – it was like that maternal like Mm. she was like swooping in and she's like this is how it's Mm. gonna go
1: and didn't give me the room to go like oh no she had her hands full she had five kids with her like she did not need to be taking on any responsibility but it would have been so easy for me to say no if she had said um how can I help because at that point I was like I don't fucking know (laughs) I've got no idea um but yeah it was it was such a nice moment and I think those moments stick with you, yes. you know, two years down the track, 10 years down the track, yeah. they just stay with you.
0: And you should always remember those because there'll be other situations where people act in a really awkward way yeah. that it's not about you, it's about them and that their reaction. So you hang on to those really positive moments and pay it forward.
1: I think so. And this one's not breastfeeding related, but while we're in a sharing mood, the other one that comes to mind is um, – from mum's group we'd met at a cafe and it had been so traumatic because I had one of those babies that screamed in the car constantly Mm -hmm. for seemingly no reason so by the time I got to mum's group we were both like sweating and in tears and I just wanted to go home but I loved being there so I was like just get there just get there um I tried all the things like noise cancelling headphones and loud music for me to cope and that was after trying all the Mm -hmm. things to help him cope of course um and then it coffee, he was just crying and crying and I was dropping things and I knocked something over and I couldn't settle him. And one of the other mums just said to me, no one is judging you. Do what you need to do. Take a moment if you need, but it's okay. Don't worry about anyone else. Cause I was thinking, oh gosh, where, you know, people are trying to have a peaceful coffee and my baby's just screaming and blah, blah, blah. And she was just like, you're fine. Do what you need to do. And, um, I've mentioned this to her. I mentioned it to her, um down the track a couple of months or a year later and she was like oh I don't even remember that <laughs> and I was like what it was such a powerful moment for me yes. and she's like I just told you the truth and I was like but I needed yeah. to hear it so desperately in that moment
0: yeah yeah oh, that's that is a great story there's nothing like to be grounding like going to a mums mm. and bubs movie cinema and noticing that everyone's in the same boat or yeah. <laughs> or one of those experiences but sometimes we need reminding we do de- mm. definitely need reminding definitely so jumping back to the breastfeeding because we there is so much in this and we don't want to try and cover everything yeah. but i'd like to leave it with one little suggestion i guess around being prepared and let's let's come back to some other things around it but One of the things I always remember is being ready when you sit down to breastfeed or if you're Mm. standing up, you know, what do you need to have with you and having that little kit bag ready to go because this came about from a conversation of I wasn't thirsty and then I sat down and all of a sudden oh, I need a drink and Mm. that frustration of forgetting things.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And there's the logistical things, um, that you don't think about like okay I'm going to be sitting here for 40 minutes it would probably be handy to get a snack to have my phone handy to get the tv remote and once you're a pro breastfeeder once you've been doing it for a while you can just move around but in those early days you need not two hands you need like three to four hands to get the correct position and the correct latch and I would sit down and then be like oh damn it I've forgotten this and this and I was constantly calling out to my husband, like, hey, can you maybe just go get me this and that? Um, And the one that I remember the most vividly was water. And I know I don't understand it, but I know this is a physiological thing that because your breast milk is largely made up of water, that when the baby latches, it triggers, you know, this desire to drink. And I'd sit down, I wouldn't grab a water bottle, but as soon as he started feeding, I was like, my mouth was a desert. I was the thirstiest person on earth. I'm like, bring me water. (laughs) And he was like, why don't you just get it before you sit down? And I'm like, I wasn't thirsty three minutes Mm -hmm. ago, but now I'm dying. Like, hurry up.
0: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. So I think that we can go into more detail on that later. But again, the question would be, I'm sure there's lots of amazing resources out there of get together the list of things that you think you'll need. Yeah get a little bag, a like a caddy, caddy, yeah. put the stuff in it, call it the breastfeeding caddy, have some fun with it, add yes. things, take things, you know, leave yourself little notes, a pen and paper.
1: Yeah, and that's what I ended up doing and it was fantastic and it, mostly it was just like towels because of leaking but it was like towels and breast pads and snacks, like not healthy snacks literally because that's not what you want to eat while you're breastfeeding and sleep-deprived, like chocolate. Yeah. Um, And having that handy, although Mm. sometimes I forgot to actually grab the caddy, but um, when I did, it was super handy. So Mm. I'd strongly recommend that uh, either to get for yourself or if you need a gift for someone, that would
0: be Mm. fantastic. Nice. I like that. Mm. Excellent. So I think we might wrap up today because we can – continue to go on forever on it Um, let's uh, i'd like to do a little teaser though and say we didn't get to talking about sex and breastfeeding yes okay and i think that's a really um we're gonna have some fun with it but there are some stories and fun in that so let's come back and talk about that one another time because it's an important part you can't have a baby without sex and afterwards it's There's some things to chat about there. For sure.
1: And I think that can definitely be a whole episode in itself. So we'll save that one. It's going to be a good one.
0: (laughs) Let's do that. As always, thank you for listening. We will give you the resources that we talk about um, in the links. Absolutely. Thanks for joining us for today's conversation. If you want to hear more like this, don't forget to hit subscribe so you don't miss an episode. If you'd like to know more about anything we talked about or you heard on the podcast today, check out our website, www.birthofamother.com.au. You can find us on Instagram at matrescence.podcast or send us an email to info at birthofamother.com.au.
1: If you think others could benefit from this podcast, take a screenshot of you listening to this episode to post on your social media and tag us. Alternatively, consider leaving a review with your favourite things about the Matrescence podcast. This really helps us to increase our visibility and ensure we are reaching as many women as possible. As always, thank you for spending your time with us. We hope you will tune in next time.